0: Hi, I'm John Teeter at Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, Well, we're near spring. Some people out turkey hunting, and hopefully uh, they're enjoying their time outdoors. I've been busy. I've been traveling. I just got back from a client visit, and then I cut timber for a few days. I have a couple days off. I'm headed to another client in a couple days, and then I'm off to Vermont to do some timber management. So I've been busy, I've got a lot of stuff going on and I'm really excited today because we've got a great guest on and I hope we have him on a few more times, Jake Ellinger. Uh, Jake is very well known in the industry. He's been doing this over 20 years. He's got this business that I think has really helped people kind of evolve in their ideology and focus on, on deer hunting and management activities. The biggest thing that I wanna talk about today with Jake is kinda of getting into his details. His business, Habitat Solutions 360, is really well known in the Midwest. He's out of Michigan. and. His perspective and his ideology is really similar to a lot of the ways I look at things. I think Jake and I have a lot of, lot in common, and I'm just happy he was interested in doing this. And, and for those that don't know Jake, we're going to have him on in a second and introduce himself and give some background on where he's at today. Hey, Jake, are you on the
1: line? Yes, I am, John. How you doing?
0: Good, man. How are you doing? What What's going on in your world today?
1: Well, you know, uh, going from a lot of property visits... Uh, I mix them in with everybody from just doing consulting to writing, you know, long range plans and uh, running my chainsaw and helping out uh, new and, and past clients, trying to take care of things on my own property as we get as the snow melts and things move in. So, you know, I can be away from home and try and do some of the work that I need around my food plots to prep things for spring. And I also bought a turkey tag today. Oh, so, good, good. When
0: is turkey uh, season? You know, when's turkey season yeah, for that, you?
1: Yep. For uh, for us, it comes in on the 23rd, so it's a little over a week away. And uh, I've got quite a few. I had probably, a dozen and a half big Tom's right here outside by the house. To- this oh, that's, evening that's just awesome. before we uh get you called so uh yeah you know so so I don't spend a lot of time after the birds because you know I have a thriving business and a lot of places to go and I've got some speaking engagements that I'm doing for uh QDMA or the NDA uh and some some local deer management co-ops that are pretty popular here in Michigan but uh yeah I'm happy to sit down and answer a few questions and talk about um how I do things and it's a little bit different than other people, but it's very detail oriented. And then at the end of the day, that's how you're successful. Yeah.
0: And and I think on that point, you know, your background and your building of this business and your detail orientation, it's funny because and I, I probably haven't mentioned to you, we've talked a bunch of times. I, I remember seeing a client design that you had done and it was hand drawn. And I was like, I mean it, it was it was a schematic that was of detail that I couldn't explain. I'm like, the time and effort that you had put into that drawing, it always stuck with me. And I said, these boys out in Michigan, boy, they 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 got something going on out there that's that's maybe different from the yeah. East. And, and and knowing that, I, I felt like it's a good reason to connect with you because well, uh, you know what it takes to get somebody to the, the, the end yeah, game. You know, yeah, number one, thank you. And, and just
1: uh, uh, real briefly on that, you know, I spent – 28 to 30 years in the engineering field, in the automotive high-speed automation industry, uh, an hour and a half to two hours from home driving into the Detroit area. So I was a draftsman, a mechanical engineer, project engineer, and then I became project manager of just huge automated uh, automotive projects. So, you know, you roll back when I was younger, there was no CAD, there was no drawing programs, we did everything by hand. And when I first started in this business 20 some years ago, there were no programs available that I could use that saved me any time. I mean, there were some out there, but they were pretty archaic. And, and you know, there was, you know, you had to build a library and I didn't have, you know, three years to build a library you know, <laughs> trees <laughs> and swamp yeah. edges and things like that. So I did a lot by hand. But, you know, I come from a very detailed background and and that's why I, I did. And if you saw one or two of my drawings, um, I still have people asking me to do these hand drawn drawings because they want to frame them and have <laughs> something to put in their hunting cabin. And they go, man, I want one of those. Although I I I, uh, I do them now electronically, but they're very detailed. I really get into the detail. I just don't draw a line and have somebody try to understand what that is. I tell them exactly <laughs> where I expect these deer to come and go once. Once these features and structures are uh, created on their property,
0: and I, th- I think that's great. That's a differentiator for you. That's that's a that's commonplace for me, and and that's why we're connected. And let's get into the details. So you've had clients for for numerous years, clients that have had other people come in and, and do some timber work, and regardless of who's done the timber work loggers, other guys that do consulting, what have you. You've now had these clients at your fingertips, and you've had to go in and make some changes and observe things in a different manner. The one thing I want to start with is there's a maintenance side to this business that we tend to overlook. And one thing I'll say before Jake gets into this, and I think this is critical, before you make any decisions, recognize the outcome. The outcome at some point is going to require more work. And if you don't know how to manage that, you're setting yourself up for failure. And, and I don't think you're going to fail necessarily, but if you don't have a plan you will fail, in my opinion. So, uh, Jake, with these clients that you've had of recent, you've had to go in. I know you're you love running a chainsaw. What have you been doing on the landscape? How have you been fixing things, or what problems are you, are you observing? Well,
1: I'll Tell you what I what I run into, John, and, and I'm, no fault uh, of a lot of these clients. They bring you know they get a, they get a very detailed plan, and some. Uh, attempt the work themselves and some of them are very good and they learn hinge cutting techniques and standard notch and fall when they drop timber but uh what they tend to overlook is they do all the work and in the beginning you know they're out there giving it everything they got now they're just you know rubbing their hands i'm going to shoot 150 inch bucks right like you know time takes place and mother nature is not exactly kind you know there are some areas where a lot of early succession will come in from the native species, there might be other regions in the property where the soils are poor or maybe not enough canopy was removed, even though they thought it was. By year three or four, there's more shade, there's less, there's not as much growth, and so the, so the deer are not where they want them to be. Man, you know, I used to use this stand, but I don't get any deer in there. So. Um, I get brought in and I come in and I walk through these areas and it's pretty easy for me to tell right away that, okay, they haven't been in here in two years. Because here's here's clearly, here's some dead falls, here's a tree that was uh, maybe hinged and hinged a little bit too deeply and a big old uh, dead elm finally comes down and smashes it down. So this travel corridor that they're hunting 150 yards away is blocked off internally and they don't even know it. So I go in there with my chainsaw and I assess all those areas and I basically recreate a network of, of planned deer movement. And, and more importantly, uh, predictable deer movement along the outsides and the interiors, which consists of everything from winding narrow pathways about 36 to 40 inches wide uh, with and the interior that are connected to some openings. And some of this involves cutting dead trees. Uh, some, some of it involves cutting new early successional growth that can be maples, hickories, oaks, basswoods, whatever's coming up in these people's properties. And sometimes there's, you know, the less desirable trees. You know, you, you've got maybe uh, some buckthorn and some autumn olives. But they're great deer habitat, they're just getting too thick and you can't have them spread too fast because now you've got an issue in an area that you've done a lot of canopy removal in. So I basically am coming in and spending a couple of days and running a saw and running a, a variety of different tools, including a walk-behind brush hog and a leaf blower, and creating openings, openings, networks, and bedding areas for these landowners then to be able to position their stands. I'll mark the trees and say... OK, here's here's trees on the outside that I, you know, for early and season. Here's here's one stand set up. I'd love to have you hang a stand in. You're only going to hunt this once or twice during the prime of the rut. And then, you know, depending on the layout and everybody's property is different. You've got flat ground, hill ground, uh, medium ground. So, you know, and again, you have to try to marry that with their goals. Um, so that's pretty much what I do when I uh, get pulled in. To help these guys, and you know, and some of these properties are your typical 35 to 40 to 50 acre properties, and some of these properties are pretty large. And uh, you know, and I'm, I'm working on multiple areas, I might be there three or four days working on you know locations that are you know maybe 150 acre area over here with three locations we're going to work on, and then go to the other side of the farm here's another 80 to 100 acres with some nice ridge tops separated by a river bottom or something like that. And then we build up bedding and create the predictability and locations. So they've always got a, a location to hunt, a place they can, can successfully enter and exit. So sometimes I'm cutting screening, and I'm sure you've been involved in that before. And I'm trying to put everything in place so regardless of the wind, the conditions, and the time of the year, they've got a place that they can hunt.
0: Jake, I want to pull on a thread a little bit, and I think you've just led with a lot of information, and you're talking about essentially accessibility, and accessibility yeah. into these areas that you're managing, and you're micromanaging them, and that's where I think a lot of people get lost. I was working yesterday on a client property with with the, the gentleman that subcontracts with me that, that does a lot of logging work, and this is Hillside, so I think the grade was probably around... I don't know, I'll, I'll say 40, 40% grade. So not extremely steep. I work in steeper areas. And I actually just worked on another property where the grade is, oh, probably 90%. And, oh, um, yeah. you know, and it's just hill, cliff, like just, you know, Death Valley, fall. If you you yeah. jump off that, you're dead. Um And, 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 yeah. and yeah. flat ground, so, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of flat ground, but I, I do get some slow rolling areas. And a lot of my clients are in that, you know, they're nearing retirement or they're in the retirement state. And they're like, Man, that's just a lot of work. I mean, you have a lot of vigor and... I I think one of the things I want to add to the conversation is thinking about accessibility of equipment in these areas. I'm trying to make it so my clients are working off machines because I know that it's a lot easier for them to spray, maybe not necessarily get out and run a chainsaw off a machine or on a machine. They're getting off the machine to run the chainsaw, but getting into these areas with your equipment and be able to do kind of that small time work and just that accessibility thing is huge. Uh, I also... Do note that a lot of people want to work off tractors and use their their buckets, but some of this finite work that you're talking about really can't be done with a tractor. you're kind of laying out these you know bedding areas and it's really a lot easier to be on the ground so maybe it's a time management thing as much as a knowledge thing and And I think if you have maybe the balance of using equipment or, you know, using a machine to get in there to move tops around, at least initially, or manage it, you can manage it with a brush hog, a walk-behind brush cutter, you know, those type of tools and instruments might speed up the process. So thinking ahead, like, for example, if you have a trail, maybe you want to cut the stumps really low so you could run like a, a, a small rough cut mower behind your ATV and you get in there and, you know, knock down some of that debris and brush, assuming you you don't have you know large stems that are blocking paths like you talked about earlier so maybe just an added thought there and and something that that would complement what you're suggesting um i'd like you to kind of go down the road and i want you to be specific so you go in an area and you know it's been cut 2 3 years from now and you're noticing deadfall, you know, maybe things sagging, gravity's taking effect. What? Do you, how do you even, like, start? Can you explain, like, well, you know, you've now you've got this entanglement mess. You know, do you start with the, the access out of there? Do you, do you start interior? You know, do you start with the tree stand locations? What do you do next?
1: Well, you know, I'll tell you. Um, one of the things that I think I was just born with, and, uh, you know, I, I was raised by outdoor parents and, uh, and, and they say, you know, I was, I was running the trap lines when I was three days old. Okay. They were taking me along <laughs> and that was my life. And so by the time I was six or seven, I could identify any tree plant grass. I mean, it just, it just came natural, you know, but what I can tell you is, is I'm able to walk into locations and there's going to be a deer trail somewhere. If it's thick and they're blocked, they're going to go right or left. There's, a, there's an existing deer trail. And I just, I just walk in, and I, I can just see the vision. I can see in my mind there needs to be an opening over here. There needs to be, be a, a spur trail that goes to the right up here. There needs to be one to go to the left here. Oh, I can, I can leave these three treetops with all this mess and vines right here in the center. And I'll cut a perimeter trail all around it, and I'll just cut one winding, angling pathway that cuts through 50 to 60 yards of this mess, but I'll keep it about 36 to 40 inches wide. Definitely takes time. That's, this is the handwork that you can't use big equipment in, but it is such a good existing area with new growth coming up that the last thing you want to do is go in there with big equipment because the goal here is to create security and bedding cover to attract doe family groups and the rutting bucks during the during the rut season. So um, I just kind of, I start cutting, and as I cut, it sort of develops on me. During that time, there's going to be trees that they did not cut two, three, four years ago that now are in that two to four inch caliper, 15 to 20 feet tall, and I will hinge some of those low, I'll hinge some of them high to create side cover, to create kind of a tunnel for deer to go underneath, and you know, it, it takes a while for it to develop, but I You know, I try to use uh, everything I know. I think about wind directions. Uh, When I'm trying to come up with an entry and exit point for the deer to come and go into these areas, I'm thinking about where the landowner is coming in from and and getting out at, you know, his entry and exit points that we've discussed usually prior to that. And I will agree that what you just brought up before I started answering this question, the larger access panet, paths that you can run tractors and brush hogs with the low cut stumps are an absolute must because you've got to be able to get equipment in there and have people like myself come in there a few years later or some other guy running chainsaws and walk behind brush hogs to get their equipment in there and work on these really very what I call detail-oriented bedding areas and security zones. Jake, I, I had
0: a client not too long ago, and uh, we uh, we coined a term, luxury betting. What you're describing, two things, uh, a vision, and when you start to do this repetitively, and I'm in the same point, and and I think in my vision is I can just see it. It's hard for me to explain it sometimes, but I can see it. Yeah. A lot of times, it's looking at hillside and say, okay, you know, there's a, a tree fell there. There's kind of now this this, uh, this 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 cradle and hill, and it's an open space. I mean, that tree fell 150 years ago. I can pick that location on hillside, and I can tell you there's going to be a deer bed there. And then you add a cover or food component to it, and then you get it kind of in these lower areas. And I like to encapsulate these bedding areas. The whole concept of layering and segregation, something I think you coined a long time ago is compartmentalization. And that has been a focus for a lot of people. But what I do see on client properties is they make everything way too tight. They'll have a bedding area, and I'm going to use an example. I call it, again, luxury bedding, but kitchen and table. And my kitchen size is about, oh, my kitchen is about 25 feet by, by 15 feet. And, and this is my takeaway. I can fit six to seven or even eight or nine beds in an area like that, depending on the structure, the height of that structure, you know, how flat the landscape is. I mean, those things, you know, I'm calculating the numbers of beds in these areas, and I'm trying to get a rough estimate Generally, how many deer could potentially sit in those areas? Now, you'll never have the deer population uh, probably meet that quota, but I give them options like you're talking about. The one thing I took away from you years and years ago is the idea of compartmentalization. Now, I want to know specifically when you go into these areas, you know, and I gave the example of a kitchen-sized bedroom or, you know, an apartment-sized room. You know, what are the size of, of some of these locations? What's your kind of ideal, you know, well, rough estimate size? And I you know, know I know it's landscape contingent, but it ideal. It is,
1: but you know, that's a really good question, John. And, and I'll tell you something I learned, uh, you know, 35 years ago, uh, just for the listeners, I bought my property 42 years ago, and I, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot of articles and magazines you could read about Habitat, but I was going off trying to create, deer habitat one way or another. And I learned an awful lot of stuff trial and error. One thing I learned early in my life is you have to cut a large enough area and a pretty large percentage of trees to get the sunlight, to get the early succession, to basically get stem density that, that make deer feel comfortable. They've got, they've got cover, they've got side cover, and they've also got available early successional browse that they can feed on. So it's, you know, it's all three components. But as far as size, you know, say like in the hill country that you're working in, you know, you've got a a big ridge that maybe there's 250 to 300 feet from top to bottom. But somewhere in between that top and the bottom, there's a shelf that might extend out about 60 or 70 yards, fairly flat before it drops down again. And I might run that shelf as long as 200 yards and create that entire shelf, cut that entire shelf. Wow. Okay. I mean, I might... Uh, I might leave 15 to 20 percent of what I call mother trees. Okay, good oaks uh, scattered around the outside, one or two in the center. So I've always got some. You know, they're the ones with the good crowns. They're healthy. They've got they've got a solid trunk. There's no dead wood on them. You know, they got a good root system. Uh, they're a solid tree that's going to stay there. It's not going to come crashing down and destroy all the work I did. But if I've got a a nasty looking leaner with a bu- you know with half the limbs hanging dead with bark falling off them. I'm going to cut that because if I go to all this work, that tree's coming down in the next three or four years (laughs) and it's going to ruin
0: everything. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: So so I do a larger area to basically to, to create the stem density, but then I have a number of compartmentalized, uh, areas, you know, where I have outside pathways, some internal pathways. And then I'm also trying to create some very thick, uh, i'm going to just say you know imagine a number of deadfalls maybe running 50 to 60 yards in a in a curvy area with one or two uh pathways to allow deer to cross it but that separates different layers of bedding so i can have multiple doe groups in there that aren't competing with each other because it spreads them out okay and then uh, and I won't just do one of those. You know, on, on say a 150, 200 acre property, I might do four or five of those. And my goal has uh, for several years has been, and I, I have kind of a new statement I use, John. I say, I'm trying to build a 500 room Hotel Hilton, and I'm going to let the deer decide which rooms they want.
0: I love it. I, Be- I love because it. Because
1: you never know is it high winds, is it low winds, the high temperature, low temperature, gusty winds. If it's real gusty, they're going to go down into the bottoms. If it's fairly pleasant, they want to get up on top. If it's cold, they want to get southern exposure. But I also cut north exposure bedding because we have some reps every once in a while that are in the 70s and 80s. And then you've got all these deer with that long hair and they're looking for a place to cool off.
0: I love so, I love the details, so, Jake. So this, I'm telling you, yeah. I
1: cover all those. I cover every one of those, you know, every one of those options that's on my list. I have it done before I leave. And, uh, you know, clearly probably 30% of those areas are occupied at one time, but that's great because that way you don't have the over browsing and, and overuse. And, you know, I'm sure you've been into some properties where there are high deer densities and there's just deer poop everywhere and everything's eaten and there's just no early succession because the deer are keeping up with it, you know? it's so, it's
0: so, so funny you use the hotel concepts or like you know the uh the luxe bedding like like i yeah. kind of brought up earlier <laughs> yep. and the compartmentalization the style and I'm going to throw out a threshold to everybody, and this, you know, I, this is just a, a threshold. This isn't a threshold that that you got to stick to. Usually, on the properties, and to Jake's point, you know, he's got bedding area A, bedding area B, C, D. He knows where these bedding areas are, and it's it's a lot easier to predict movement based on those bedding areas. But it, you know, if I'm going off percentages, you know, dedicated bedding areas, and pay attention to deer movement, you'll recognize that Deer stick around in an area. Um, And and these are, you know, focusing on does specifically check the intervals that they're bedding in these or they're they're loafing in some of these areas. They may lay down for 15 or 20 minutes to get up and move and they reorient themselves and the reorienting for purpose of food, cover, security, what have you. But having that variability in these bedding areas is, is critical. The other thing that Jake brought up with the north facing slopes and, you know, not you know, not ignoring those. And a lot of people just ignore them, um, thinking about those cooler areas. Deer and thermal regulation is one of the most critical things. That's how I kill my big bucks. And I just did a podcast with Dan Johnson on this, on his podcast. I'll probably carry it in this podcast so people can hear how I kill big bucks. That is my number one That is my number one resource to making a decision to go after a deer is how they thermoregulate in an area. It's not something that people talk about, but I think it's really critical. And it ties directly into what Jake just said. And we we haven't had a conversation about that. So I'm really kind of happy you brought it it up.
1: You know, and and, and when you mention it, I know what you're doing. Okay. And it's awesome because especially when you're into any kind of uh, hills and and mountainous regions, that's really a big play. It is. uh, To that point, when I get into, say, the gently rolling properties, and maybe they've got a, a lower area where it's fairly flat. You know, that means, say, it was at one time an ag area, and they, they bought the 40 acres, 60 acres, whatever it is. So they've got 10 or 15 more flatter areas to do some some food plots, some tillables, some warm season grasses. But when that happens, I try to set the bedding areas up in multiple locations with variety of different stand locations and educate my hunters. And I've got a really neat PowerPoint pro- program that I've gone through that I hand to every one of them. And it's like, here's how you anticipate where these bucks are cruising based on wind direction, because they're trying to get their nose downwind to where these does are bedded and show them how to put their setups in there. And I tell you, all my, you know, I'm not going to say every one of them, But the ones that embrace it and get it, and the majority of the people that hire me do get it because they see the success early on, have become serious deer killers because they they figure it out, they wait for the right wind condition, they don't hunt when it's wrong, they go in and and guess who's in there looking when it's the right time of the year.
0: So, Jake, I know you're really strategic. Uh, We only hunt a couple times a year. We talked about this, you know, you and I just talked about this recently, of, you know, our limited hunting, our very tactful approach you know, all these design features that you're laying out, you're designing with a plan and purpose. And that's going to hopefully, you know, get you to the end game of harvesting that deer. And I know notably, you've killed a lot of quality, you know, quality deer on your particular property. It's a small property and you've you've achieved a lot of success. You know, dollars to donuts on your property what do you think has done the most for you? And I know it's not never one indice, it's many indices, but what is your predominant focus that's gotten, gotten you to the end game where you say, I'm doing something, and that's more meaningful than the rest of the things I do if you're, you're just talking well, percentages and scale?
1: If, if I was to say something that's brought it all together through the process of compartmentalization, which, which connects... One land feature, bedding to transition to food, okay? It's all connected. This deer never has to expose itself in, in, in open ground. He can, he can cover all those areas and never be out in the open or sheep because there's some smart big does too. Through doing that, I'm also creating screening to hide my entry and exit, and that's the number one. If I can't see the deer, they can't see me.
0: It's simple. I mean, it's that simple. It's just, you
1: know, you know so see, some of my videos, I get kind of funny. I like to joke once in a while when I finish them up. I say, it's just that simple. You just go out and kill them, you know, and believe me, I've worked really hard to get to where I'm killing the kind of deer that I am because I'm in, I'm in a tough state to start with, yeah. With you know, a lot of deer get killed very young. So, so getting anything three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, um, hey, you know, you're talking about, you know, the upper three to 5% of the deer herd here. Uh, but, hey, you know, it, it works. And, uh, you know, we are our worst enemies. If I could add one thing, you know, and you said, you know, a, a quality hunts. But most landowners that hire me are their worst enemies. They move too much. They hunt too much. They overthink things. And, uh, you know, it, that's not helping them at the end of the day.
0: And I want to add a little bit to this conversation. And one thing that I've struggled with over the years is you can explain you're blue in the face with a lot of these clients how to do something and the meaningfulness of you know your style, your strategy, one of the examples you just gave access, sometimes they need to see it. And I would say if the individual you're hiring, if it's Jake Ellinger that you're hiring and he has the vision and he can show you, he can demonstrate it, well worth the value to have him on your property extra days beyond the written consulting you know package that he puts together. I've realized that over the past couple of years um, and like just example, you know, I stayed out when I did this job recently in Wisconsin and we did a field conversion. He couldn't believe what we were talking about. He couldn't believe the strategy. I mean, he had, he had not seen that on YouTube. There's no riddling equation here. We are physically making changes immediately and reshaping these landscape settings. So they're more utilized by deer. You have to physically see it sometimes. So, you know, if somebody can't translate it that doesn't know how to do the heavy-handed work, that can't get you there, they may be able to talk about it, but they need to be able to show you. And I, I would recommend if you're hiring a consultant have them physically show you. It's not about planting miscanthus grass or, you know, a, a lot of this is timber work. Uh, most of my properties yeah. are timber work, and that's what you're doing. And and I think that your vision, it's hard to explain. I have rules of thumb. Uh, we're building luxury bedding. We're the layouts. I'm trying to fix as many beds. I have rules, you know, how many deer, how many beds, uh, size, shape, orientation, segregation, layering. I'm throwing all this stuff at them. By the time they leave, they're like... Uh, Could I write all that
1: down? I said, why not oh, you,
0: you, know, it's a lot to take in, you know, and that's, they're, that's, they're over
1: They're very overwhelmed. I, totally. I have quite a package. I hand each client, I hand them a, a, uh, an eight gig flash drive filled with data. And some guys never look at it, other guys, read read everything, watch every video that's in it. Uh, speaking of timber and all the work that you've done, that you know how it works, the work that I've done. Uh, I have this saying, you know, Mother nature is never stagnant. It's either getting better or it's getting worse. And it's the same thing anywhere you cut. It's either improving. It doesn't just stay perfect for 10 years. <laughs> You've got one or two seasons where it's pretty good. And you, and, you know, I've got bedding areas here, John, that now when I look back, I think they're about, let me see, that would have been late. So probably 20 to 23, 24 years ago, I started hinge cutting them. okay. And I'm, I'm in them every couple of years, hinge cutting. I'm hinging hinges and, cu- and cutting out, you know, mature trees that I left and now are too big. So, now I'm I'm notching, falling them, dropping them down, doing some work. And, you know, depending on how much moisture is in the soil, the quality of the soil, how much sunlight is getting to the ground, that's going to have a big bearing on how, how good the successional growth responds or how poorly it responds. So every property is not the same, and and you know there's going to be people here listening that probably don't have the best soil. They got sandy, gravelly, rocky ground, and it's just going to take longer, and it's just going to take a little more work. And then you get other guys that got beautiful loamy, awesome soil. They get consistent rainfall, and they're going to cut an area and in three years it's head high. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You're so, right. Yeah. There's variability right? in that, and that that will yeah. be obviously in your case. You know, they may have to have you out there more frequently to help manage, you know, those specific changes as as things start to, you know, meet the next cereal stage and and plants start to develop. And and of course, you know, the biggest thing is kind of you laid out earlier, having that mix of, you know, woody cover or food availability. One of the concepts that you employed, I think, a few years ago was, and and I want to just add to this, and I'm, I'm enthralled with some of your concepts. Is you know food and bedding that that was something that if you talk to somebody who designs hunting properties uh, out in the Midwest, they'll just they'll just displace your point of view. And if you're creating interest yeah. in a bedding area, there's immediate resources and there's long term resources. Sometimes immediate resources yeah. like you know food plots within bedding areas, planted food can be an immediate attraction that can drive interest that makes that utilization that much higher. You marketed it and sold that idea. I've bought into that Jake. And I can tell you, I've been using it on a client properties for 10 oh, years gosh. now. And it's, it's you know, spot
1: on when you came up with that. You know, and I'm a real, uh, you, you know, I'm a detail guy. And so when I'm hunting these areas and I'm always experimenting, you know, I've, you know, So much of what I've done has been trial and error. Hey, I'm going to try it. And I think this will work. And so it didn't take long for me to realize that there's about a four to eight day time period right in the very beginning of the rut when most of the does are not in heat, but every buck thinks they are. Okay. And those does are off the food sources. And the reason they're off the food sources, is the younger bucks will not leave them alone. Okay. So that's when I started putting food in the bedding areas. Nice little openings and the little trail systems I was planning. I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures and videos of my place. And by golly, you know, those does can get pressed into that cover. They're comfortable. They're not having to go out into the open and they can get up and move around. Like you say, they bed 40 minutes, they bed 20 minutes, they get up, they stretch their legs, they urinate, they eat, they take, you know, eight, nine mouthfuls of food. They walk 15 yards. They lay down in another little opening that I've got up against the big log that i cut two years ago and they lay there and chew their cud along with their fawns and you know the the bucks aren't bothering them but as they approach estrus guess who's in there (laughs) checking (laughs) them out you know and so i set up everything for that buck that's using his nose to get downwind and i've killed uh, i think i've killed three bucks over five and a half five and a half and older here in the last 10 years and uh in, in those in those timber situations, I've also killed some in food early season, yeah. but the timber situations, every one of those bucks was trying to get downwind of those doves. That was his goal. It's just so cool to watch it happen out in front of you. You know, the old saying, it's overused, but build it and they will come and it's the truth.
0: Yeah. And, and, you and know? ingenuity, your focus there, your concepts, your ideas, they're your own, and You're shaping, you've shaped the industry for a while. I think, I think you're a staple and, and somebody that, that, uh, that I'm happy to have on this podcast and, thank uh, you you know, it's good. I think you're, I I hope we can do this a few more times and, uh, we can follow you because I think there's a lot we can share. The the reason we're doing this is to share as much as we can to help people get there.
1: I love doing that. I really do like sharing information and helping people that, you know, if there's guys that, and there's good, smart thinkers out there, that are listening to this podcast And hey, and I'm sure a handful of them are going to listen to what we have to say and they're going to run out there and start making things happen. And that's just as awesome to me as a guy hiring me and being successful as well. Yeah,
0: great. Jake, anything you want to end on uh, that, that's just stick in your mind? Um, Anything that's, that's on the tip of your tongue?
1: Well, here's, I will say one thing and I like to end on this. Um, Don't be afraid to go out and do something. Doing something is better than nothing. And too many people get hung up on, oh, if I do this wrong. Well, there's a lot of things we can do wrong. And we learn when we do things wrong. But if you don't do anything, your hunting's only going to get worse.
0: Great, great way to end. Empower yourself and find success one way or the other. Yep. Great, great way to end. I'm happy to have Jake on. Again, Habitat Solutions 360. He's out of Michigan. Jake, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? What's what's the easiest way to contact you for consulting?
1: um, You know, I have... uh, I have a uh, a youtube channel and I have the facebook which is habitat solutions three sixty I also have a webpage uh habitat solutions dot com and my email is jake 360com dot com great
0: all right Jake well thanks for being on i'm happy that we got to chit chat I know that we'll talk more you know offline and then we'll have you back on and we'll see how your uh your summer's going
1: Sounds good looking forward to it John
0: all right see you soon
1: yep bye-bye. bye 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 Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.